Hello and welcome to The Rabbit Hole, the definitive developers podcast in the fantabulous Chelsea, Manhattan. I'm your host, Michael Nunez, our co-host today. Dave Anderson. And today we'll be talking about there is no me in teams. But the truth is, it's all about me. It's all about you? And you also. And, and me. <laughs> and you. And it's me. All, oh, yeah. We're a team. Right. We'll be diving into team dynamics and how to be more effective, how to have a more effective team. But at the end of the day, you have to work on you because it's all about me, I yep, guess. This is gonna be, I'm pointing a lot here. <laughs> uh, before I continue to point all over the place, we have a special guest. We have Doc List. How's it going, Doc? It's going great. Thanks. It's all about me. Hey, that's why you're the interviewer. I'm an interviewee. We're interviewing you. All about you, me, you. Tell us a little bit about me, yourself. (laughs) I come from a family of psychotherapists. So for context, then, my father's father, my father, my aunt, my older brother are all psychologists, or some of them were. Okay. (laughs) My education's in psychology. I have two younger sisters who are psychotherapists. My mother retired from her first career at 60 here in New York and went back to school to become a psychotherapist. I had a couple stepmothers who were psychotherapists. So of all those people, I'm the only one who has never been a practicing psychotherapist. I'm sure. (laughs) Led me to claim the title of white sheep of the family. That must be really interesting Thanksgiving, I would say. That's a lot of mirrors around you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I've always said we didn't have family meetings like other families. We had group. (laughs) (laughs) But you did end up in agile consulting and uh, helping teams be better, which I, I think in a way is kind of a form of therapy sometimes, depending on the teams. It is. And, and uh, realistically, a lot of what I do sort of straddles that line. Uh, by the way, one last thing about my family. I'm the only one ever called Doc. Yeah, which is just, I think, the irony of That's why I embraced the, the nickname when somebody gave it to me. Uh, <laughs> that's pretty great. And that's, they're not even put on their passports or whatever. <laughs> so, but back to being a little bit serious. Yeah, the idea of this, the, the term, it's all about me. When people who know me, they know I have a bit of an ego and I can enjoy from time to time being the center of attention. So when I say, I've done all this writing about it's all about me. They all laugh. Right. right. Yeah. It sounds like something you should publish a book on. <laughs> There's a thought. <laughs> I'm working on that right now. I'll come back to that later. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> the idea of this came from a combination of sources. So I've, I've been a student of people my whole life. And I found myself somewhat frequently being asked for advice or guidance. And amongst my career moves, I've been a a life coach or a business coach. I've worked with people to help them figure out what they wanted to do. But this idea of it's all about me began when I read the book Crucial Conversations. I'm trying to dig my way through that book right now, actually. Yeah, it it took me three times. I read the book three (laughs) times. Then I took the training because it still hadn't entirely sunk in. Yeah, it feels like a muscle that you need to flex. Like that—that's the thing. Like whenever I'm reading, I'm like, I need to be talking to somebody and like really. <laughs> well, and, and in fact, me. when I when I started to get it, the the technique that I found to be most significant for me was what they call state S T A T E, and that stands for state the facts, tell your story, ask, talk tentatively, and encourage testing. 
So the state the facts part turns out to be remarkably hard for most people. And when I was starting to learn this, I said to my wife, this is what I'm learning. It's this thing called state, and I want to practice it. So I'm not doing it at you, to you, with you. I don't ask you to do anything with me. I'm just going to practice. And I started having conversations with her using that technique. And within about a year, she started doing it too, because it worked. Because mm. it, took, it took that energy, that conflict energy, out of the conversations. Right, because there were only facts that were shared, not like emotion. Well, there were facts and there was emotion, but it wasn't me saying, you hurt my feelings or you made me angry or whatever. It was me saying, I felt hurt or I felt disrespected. So I took ownership, right? That's where I started learning some of that. And then mm -hmm. my wife and I were, there was a period where we had three children and she wanted a fourth one and I didn't. And <laughs> it's uh, time to state the facts. <laughs> yeah. And we went to see a therapist and the therapist talked about how we expressed ourselves and all of this. And then reading a lot of books that were related or, or in sort of loosely related subjects got me to thinking a lot about the idea of who owns my feelings and my behavior. Right. And that's what it's all about me is. Right. So like you take ownership of your feelings and emotions, given the facts all in and around you. Yes. So when I do this in a workshop, I, I do, it's an interactive workshop and people, they write stories and I say, write a story, a short story about the um, last time someone hurt your feelings or upset you or disrespected you. And I'm deliberately, of course, setting it up so that they will do what I, what I want them to do, which is the opposite of what I want to teach them. <laughs> And, you know, they'll say, well, you know, um, I was having this conversation with my coworker and he insulted me. It's like, hang on. What did he say? Oh, well, he said that he disagreed with me. Right. It's like, okay, how is that insulting you? Right. So now let's talk about what was actually said and done. That mm -hmm. is so critical because it takes the emotion out of it. I say it takes all the assumptions and the interpretations out of what happened and forces me to stop and say, what actually happened? At which point I can say, okay, how did it affect me? That's the tell your story part. Right. How did I feel? Because my feelings are mine. They didn't come from outside. They came from inside me. So I might've had a brother who bullied me. I might've had a girlfriend when I was young who treated me a certain way. And when somebody does something that seems like it, that feels like it, I react in a way that is relevant to that memory or that, that thing that got caught inside of me instead of considering what's actually happening here. Right. And I guess like thinking about it as like, that's the filter for the world. The world exists out there and like, you know, people need to work together as teams in order to accomplish great goals. And that's like, but the irony is that, you know, we don't truly know the other people on our team. Like we only really know ourselves and our perceptions of them. So you have to, I guess, get that perspective and frame it properly. Yes. I'm right. sitting here nodding and smiling knowingly. <laughs> <laughs> that's just good radio. <laughs> The, the challenge for most of us is how do we divorce ourselves from that reaction 
and move to a response. And in Crucial Conversations, they talk about the humanizing question. The humanizing question is, why would a rational, reasonable, decent human being do that? Right. I think the um, sometimes, or rather, the quote-unquote conflict that happens in everyday software engineering is like in pull requests. Where, hey, oh. that, I feel like this is where it, this is where it goes down. Oh. I'm like, laughing okay, because I, I'm feeling it yeah, right now. Yeah, I, I want to bring all of our listeners to the very situation I was about to explain. So you have a pull request. You spent time and you put in your energy and your thoughts into this new feature that you want to put out. You say, "Hey, everyone, could you please like give me uh, some feedback on this particular feature?" And you wait a while, and then the comment. And you want the, everybody to say, "Wow, that was fantastic!" Yeah, the, exactly. Right. At the end of the day, you want to be like, "Oh yeah, that's great." Approve, no comments at all. You just want things approved, shipped fast. But then suddenly, one comment comes in, then two, then four, and then like <laughs> the more you get, the more. I mean, and this is something that I continue to work with, where it's like, okay, don't don't get mad, Mike. Like. Understand there is the, in their best interest for the cleanliness of the code. They're giving me feedback. I'm not well, going to storm to their desk. You may be giving them a little too much credit, but go ahead. Yeah. So I think, <laughs> but I think like if whatever feedback is given, whatever reaction I have, I know that those are my like those are my feelings and my thoughts. But it's not like, hey, he's not doing that to make me feel stupid. He's telling me or she's telling me this one thing, and I have to read it. Does that make sense? and then respond however it is that I need to respond. Whether, hey, I think you're wrong and we need to talk about it, or I'll go and fix that. But I feel like pull requests is like the, the thing that where it all goes down. Right. Well, and I, I love that you just set me up so perfectly without necessarily intending to. <laughs> <laughs> because you did the same thing, but in a positive way. You assumed the motivations, the feelings of the people reviewing. You assumed a positive intent, which is as invalid as assuming a negative intent. Oh, no, Mike. Yeah, no, I mean. You did it wrong. I did it wrong. I did it wrong. I mean, I. I, There's no wrong. Oh, sorry. I I don't know. I feel like if I know everyone in the group enough, like to know like, hey, this person, whatever feedback I'm going to receive is for the sake of uh, quality code. Let's read it. That's valid. Yeah. However, what they say, so it, what, what you were talking about is what I call ego identification with the code. I've, yes. I've been a programmer for many, many years. Anytime somebody commented on or criticized or found a bug in my code, not and therefore me, yep, right. reacted as if they'd attacked me. <laughs> yep. That, right. I'm working right. on that. Working so on your that. attitude is a positive one, which I like and respect, but the reality is they said something. That's right. all you need to know. Here is some information for you. Sure, it might be positive. It might be somebody's having a bad day. And unwittingly, they will feel better if they make you feel worse. I'm not saying your team is like that, but it's equally possible. And it doesn't matter because Mm -hmm. you read what they give you and you respond, not react, because react is that immediate emotional react. It's like, yo, what? What you mean? (laughs) What's going on here? And then you slow down. It's why the humanizing question is so valuable because it causes you to slow down. Even if the person you're thinking about had bad intent, it doesn't matter because now you've slowed down and thought, okay, so they said what they said. Does it change who I am? Does it change my value to the world? 
No, none of that. So now I can say, okay, these are just words. What do I do with these words? Let me read what they said about my code and look at my code and see if I agree with the words. Because right. it just doesn't matter. And I can never, ever, back to what you were saying earlier, I think, I think it was Mike, the world actually, from a perception and an emotion standpoint, actually lives in my head. I don't know that there's any objective reality. And <laughs> everything I see and hear and everything I experience is filtered through my memories, my predispositions, my experience. And it's, I think it's objective. Right. I had a conversation with a guy one day and I said to him, where did you live before New York? And he said, you know, it's inappropriate to ask me where I'm from. <laughs> and well, I said, of course, I didn't ask you where you were from. I asked you where you lived, lived before. before. Oh, no, you asked me where I'm from. <laughs> he filtered what I said through his expectations or his biases or whatever. It was a soft, friendly kind of environment. But nonetheless, like, but I didn't say that. But that happens a lot. How many times... Have you had a conversation with your friend, your fiance, your coworker, and they say, I remember perfectly well that this is what happened, and you go, but no. Yeah, you, you got to go to the Slack, yeah. the Slack messages. The check, check the, <laughs> Let's go to the official record. Check the comments and the PR and GitHub. You'll see. This is what I said. That's all I said. I submit to the court. Yeah. But In yeah. Fact, that's why when I'm working with teams, I say, in spite of the fact that the Agile Manifesto says, says working software over comprehensive documentation, document your agreements, write them down. Because I've, I've had too many instances where three months later, somebody sa says, why did you do it this way? And the other person says, because that's what we agreed on. And the first one says, well, no, it's not. You have nothing. <laughs> right. Yeah. Although, like, I guess to your point about, like, you know, the people's reactions coming from inside of them and like being real in their own right like even if it isn't objectively true or documented as such like i guess that's it's still valid to address that concern and maybe it's coming from a different place like maybe they're having some insecurity about the deadline or the volume of work or something or you know some other <laughs> aspect of it the the tricky part of this and for me it's a, it's really a slippery slope i'm not perfect at this I am much better than I used to be. That slippery slope is every time I assume someone's motivations, I respond to their motivations. If I don't ask them what's going on, I just make an assumption. And now I'm getting upset or I'm feeling hurt or I'm getting angry or I'm resenting or whatever without ever saying what was going on. So, so part of this whole it's all about me thing is that I owe it to myself to have those difficult conversations and mm -hmm. to say, look, I'm feeling hurt right now, although that's out of order from the crucial conversations way, but it doesn't matter, right? I'm feeling hurt right now. What happened is this, this, and this, and I don't quite know what was going on. That's the ask. Could you tell me? And this, this takes away the typical conversation, which is, you hurt my feelings. And of course, the other person immediately goes on the defensive. And I move it to, I'm feeling hurt. Let me tell you what I saw happen. And then we can talk about it. And, and the reason my wife picked this up from me was because it took so much of that negative energy out of our conversations. And, and it worked. 
And yeah. all of a sudden, our conversations were not, you hurt my feelings, you disrespected me, you upset me. It was, this is what happened, and this is how I reacted to it. So owning my behavior, owning my feelings, I've had people say to me, well, you can't just decide not to feel that way anymore. Yes, I can. I absolutely can. <laughs> you have ownership. You're throwing them off. <laughs> yeah. Well, you once I start saying, okay, what? keep in mind that if my behavior and my feelings are about me, your feelings and your behavior are about you. Once I recognize that, I realize that for whatever reason you said, Doc, you're being a jackass, well, that's about you, not me. It's about how you feel about me or how you're thinking about me or how you're reacting to me. But it's not about who I am as a person. It's about your feelings. It's about your reaction. And you're like, I guess, understanding of what's going on, which, you know, you may choose to make an assumption or you may choose to have a more difficult conversation and get more information. It'll be less difficult if I don't attach to it. So back to the pull request and back to the ego identification with the code. If you criticize my code, if you criticize something I've done, okay, I can't go back and undo it. It is what it is. Let's go forward from here. And I, when I mentor people, and that's part of what I do as an agile coach, is I, I talk with people one-on-one, -on -one, help them see what's going on, apply skills from agile coaching, uh, professional coaching, my life experience, help them see what's going on and own their thoughts and behavior. How do you approach a situation where like, you know, just working off this like code review example where someone just flat out tells you what you've done is all wrong. You need to tear it all down and, you know, just delete it, start over again from scratch. There are two parts to that. One is how it affects me. The other is the technical part of it. I'm not addressing the technical part of it. I coach technical people all the time. I have no judgment about the, the work they're doing, the code they're writing, don't care. Right. It's not what I do anymore. What I, all I can address is if you feel offended, insulted, disrespected, angry because someone said that to you, that I can address. I can help you address that. And I want you to learn how to address that because at some point I'm going away and you're going to be on your own. So I don't have any judgment about whether the way you wrote the code is better or the way this other person thinks you should write it is better. That's okay. That's, that could be opinion. It could be fact. It could be group consensus. Doesn't matter to me. What I care about is how you respond to that person. Right. I think like if you read, let's say up to Dave's point where someone says, hey, write this again. This code is trash. You need to do it over. The person receiving that comment can feel like, oh my God, the work that I've done is useless. I feel useless because of it. But the response to that individual could be, hey, you mentioned that we need to do a rewrite. Could you elaborate on some points as to why we need the rewrite? That way you can understand where they're coming from. And they could just outright say, hey, I just think it's garbage and we need to do it over. And whether that's, hey, that's, bro, that's not valid. Like, stop that right there. Let's come with some facts as to why it's not good. And if the person's like, hey, if we need to fix this because of X, Y, and Z, then you can kind of do that. Right. And we're drilling down into what the true meaning of 
this is trash. Yeah, actually, is because if you, if Bobby over there is having a bad day and writes that, and you feel like, hey, like that offended me. Why? Why do you think my code is trash? Like, regardless of how he feels, that's how he feels. He feels like the code's trash. But you should talk to him. You should be like, hey, all right, hold on a second. Hmm. So my focus is on what the authors of Crucial Conversations called CPR. And CPR stands for content, which is the lowest level, right? You were wearing blue. No, I was wearing green. No, I know you were wearing blue. No, I was absolutely wearing green, right? That's going nowhere. That's resolving nothing. So that's content. What are the words? What are the actual? Okay, it's maybe a little useful, but mostly not. The P is for pattern. Every time this happens, you do this, you say this. That Mm. was actually one of the patterns between me and my wife. Is as she would raise something, I would be busy making her wrong. Therefore, she would feel bad, right? That was the pattern. But the problem with the pattern was that it interfered with the R, which is relationship. And as as a coach, an agile coach, and a a person who mentors others, my focus is on you've got to work with this person. You have a relationship. I don't care what you call it, colleague, coworker, even if you don't like them, you still have a relationship. You have to learn how to work with them, deal with them, communicate with them. How are you going to do that? Yeah, yeah, I feel that. That's that's pretty deep. So like the, the idea with CPR is that you want to avoid the content and the pattern in favor of the relationship? Yes. The difficulty in all of this is that many of us, maybe most of us, grow up in an environment in which people assign responsibility for their feelings to me. And they treat me, therefore, like a villain. My job as a result is to say, well, I'm not responsible. I don't actually ever say to someone, I'm not responsible for your feelings because they'll probably hit me. (laughs) But to have a conversation. And and being that it's all about you, you want to avoid the physical pain of being hit. so. (laughs) So the question becomes, how do I learn how to communicate that I can use in a way that they may learn from. And I'm okay with being overt about it and saying, this is the tool I use, which Mm. is what I, again, what I did with my wife is to say, I'm going to just start using this because I think it'll be effective. Or I can say to, excuse me, colleague or coworker, I'm using the state model from Crucial Conversations, just so you know. And so I'm always going to look at the facts first, what actually happened. I'm going to work very hard on not assigning responsibility for my feelings or my behavior to you or anyone else but me. And Mm. therefore, I have a choice about my behavior and how I feel. I love that idea of like kind of framing it ahead of time. It's like, by the way, I'm going to try my best to be a rational person and like, you know, follow this. (laughs) 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 But you're really stretching it. The other thing about this is there's this subconscious awareness that if I say to you, you hurt my feelings, you upset me, I have just handed you power over my feelings. I've given you power over me and how I feel and how I behave. Why would I do that? Right. If you say I felt X or Y, then you're up to you. You're saying that you're not giving them the power of making you feel disrespected or low or down. It's I felt this way and I can make those changes if I need to. Yep. So back to your intro, there's no me and team. 
when I'm working with teams, uh, you, you may or may not be familiar with the, the Bruce Tuckman model, but many people are familiar with forming, storming, norming, and performing. So Tuckman came up with this 50 years ago. And what he said is in studying groups and teams, he found that every group went through forming, which is coming together, mm-hmm. storming, which is learning how to express differing opinions and ultimately how to deal with conflict, which leads to norming. And then over time leads to what he called performing and I call high performing. I don't believe you can have a high performing team without a certain level of, let's call it emotional intelligence. I just coined that phrase. Emotional intelligence about how to behave and how to speak and interact with people. You cannot get to high performing without a healthy degree of that on all of the members of the team. And you, you need that like friction too. You need to like fail a bit at it and like learn what the boundaries are and understand how this other crazy person works. Not crazy in the sense of that they're they're insane, but like they they're just a very different person from you. They have their own meat that they're dealing right. with. Exactly. And you gotta learn how to dance in the me's. <laughs> Back to the humanizing question. Uh-huh. Why would a rational, reasonable, decent human being do that doesn't require you to assume that the other person is rational, reasonable, or decent. It does require you to think, okay, but why would a rational, reasonable, decent human being do that? Right. So in the case of the person who you know takes on the pull request and gives you bad feedback, right? says your code sucks, yeah. it's badly structured, blah, 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 whatever it is. Then you ask, okay, what could be going on? I I think of it as giving them the benefit of the doubt. Why would a rational, reasonable, decent human being do or say something that I find so painful? Okay, maybe they, as you said, Mike, maybe they do have the best of intentions for the quality of what we produce for the company. Or maybe their wife or or friend or their dog bit them or whatever, right? It's like, Maybe something be bad anything. happened this morning and they're just letting it out on me. Yeah, I think, okay. uh, yeah, my, my grandma used to say every person has their own universe in their mind. And every, like, when you have interactions with people that are off, you have to, like, understand that they have their own, again, they have their own me to deal with. And that me is an entire observable universe that is completely different than mine. And, you kind of have to like dance through all of that <laughs> every day at work with your team. Too many universes in, in New York. Many, yeah, exactly. <laughs> when I present this, I actually show a picture of the world and I show it inside your head. Yeah. <laughs> we don't know. We right. don't know that there's a reality, right? Mm-hmm. We believe it. We assume it. But everything, as I said earlier, everything we experience, we experience through the filters of our own experience, knowledge, history, biases, pains, happiness. Totally. So, Doc, how can people contact you? Well, first of all, I have my own company, which is Another Thought, those two words, Another and Thought. And my website is anotherthought.com. I am doc at anotherthought.com, which is an easy way to reach me. (laughs) I'm on Twitter as a thought, A-T-H-O-U-G-H-T. It's another thought, but I left out the another. <laughs> so I have another seven characters to use. Yeah, That's important. For savings. Yeah. Yes. And then a lot of what I just talked about is in my blog, which is on doclist.me. And much of my writing is there, which I'm in the process of turning into a book of some kind. And I'll let you know when it 
I figure out <laughs> what kind of book it is. Cool. Yeah. Looking forward to it. It's forming, I guess, right now. Maybe storming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cool. We'll link to all that stuff in the show notes. Yeah, it was great to catch up with you again. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Follow us now on Twitter at Radio Free Rabbit so we can keep the conversation going. Like what you hear? Give us a five-star review and help developers just like you find their way into the rabbit hole. And never miss an episode. Subscribe now however you listen to your favorite podcast. On behalf of our producer extraordinaire, William Jeffries, and my amazing co-host, Dave Anderson, and me, your host, Michael Nunez, thanks for listening to The Rabbit Hole. <laughs>